Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Place Position from the 1998 album End Hits is musician and indie label owner Matt Parrish, perhaps best known to you as the drummer for the awesome math rock band Piglet. Matt, how's it going? Excellent. It's so cool to have you, and I thank you for bearing with me as we had to sort of reschedule this a couple of times, um, but we, we made it happen. Here we are. We're talking. Yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> um, and it's it's funny, I've had a lot of changes in my schedule and stuff, because when we first started talking, um, the pandemic was probably at its peak or whatever around January and uh, or December, whenever we started. And I've since started a, a job that requires me to be there about 60 hours a week. Um, so I hope I'm not coming into this too like half cocked. I learned, (laughs) I I learned the song, I learned about the song and stuff. So let's just, let's just do it and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I spent a little time uh, messing around on my guitar too. So, um, we, we will see if we can come to a, uh, a common point of understanding. I'm, I'm, you have a history of playing much more complex music than I do. So I'm eager to get your take on this. But before we do, can I get a little bit of your Fugazi story? Um, how did they play into your life as a fan, as a musician? Do you remember when you first heard of them and got into them, etc.? Yeah, actually, it's really interesting. I grew up in a rock and roll house. My dad was a big record collector and was always really interested in like contemporary things, uh, rock and roll. So growing up as like a really small kid, I latched on to, to rock music real early on and reading like all the, those like old rock magazines. Do you remember like circus and yeah, yeah. cream? Like, yeah. And metal edge and things like that. But they had those t-shirt advertisements in them and I used to look through those and it was so cool to me, like the band shirts, but one of them was always, this is not a Fugazi t-shirt. So seeing that at a young age, I can't really remember a time where I wasn't at least aware of the name Fugazi. Um, and, but once I got into punk rock, um, you know, in junior high or whenever you do when you're 12 or 13, um, you know, I got into minor threat first. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm 36, so at the time, this was before, you know, you had access to music however you wanted. You know, it wasn't at your fingertips. You kind of had to wait for the opportunity to, to hear something. Um, and once I started getting into punk rock, it was like this established fact that like, oh, yeah, Fugazi, like, they're the best. You know, like even people that weren't interested in their music had respect for them. Um, so I had like anticipated hearing this band Fugazi, like, oh, it's the dude from Minor Threat. Like, I got to hear it. Um, I've heard people talk shit about it, say it's emo. I've heard people say it's the greatest thing, you know, that's ever come out of punk rock. I got to hear this thing. And uh, yeah, finally, when I was like 13 or 14, a friend of mine and I used to drive around in his older sister's car with her boyfriend. And they had a mixtape. And I kept asking them about Fugazi. And they, they found this mixtape mix that had Bulldog Front and Waiting Room on it. So And I, I finally got to hear it, and yeah, it just blew me away, obviously. Um, and I just, I've been into the band ever since, you know? 
when we first got in touch to talk about this song, you told me that you were sort of interested in taking a an approach that was that delved a little bit more into the music theory side of things, uh, which yeah. which we're gonna try to do. And like, apologies to anyone who like that's if that's Greek to you. Um, haven't really done it that much on this podcast so far, so um, yeah, apologies. But you, there are a lot of other episodes to listen to if it's getting too esoteric for you. But I was I was wondering what you thought about musical complexity and Fugazi, because you, you were sort of saying to me that you had the sense that they didn't have much of a formal understanding of music, like from a theoretical perspective, but they had just this great, maybe preternatural understanding of it. And they're really good at listening and, uh, and taking this, taking songs into interesting directions. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you, you pretty much said it, you know, I wanted to do this, really more than anything just as like a a learning experience for me and just as an exercise and it was really interesting like some of the the things that came to light about their music um in doing this and to answer your question yeah i think the biggest thing um that i figured out or at least can like feel like i can strongly speculate towards is that they are just incredible listeners I mean, I can't, I don't know how much they know about music theory or um, anything, you know, any, any like technical uh, notes on paper kind of thing. But like what I, what I noticed is that, you know, no one would argue that their music is unique. It's totally theirs. Right. Um, and diving in what was interesting i thought it was going to be this like really unusual complex thing and notes on paper there's nothing like groundbreaking notes about their music Uh you know what i mean by like notes on paper like if you just write down the notes they're playing without actually hearing the music it's it's punk music for sure so what got me thinking was like well what makes it so special then you know and i think that like you said um the fact that they're such great listeners allows them to, to like pull some interesting moves. Um, things that like maybe the like beginner songwriter or average person wouldn't think to do because it's like against the rules or something. Right. (laughs) Um, and there's just like, I feel, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I, I identify with bands that are, just like totally honest and a hundred percent themselves. And it, it kind of seems to me like their music, they don't have like necessarily, how do I explain this? Um, they don't necessarily have like a musical goal. They just want to go in there and like jam out with each other until something feels right. Yeah. And they don't need to like understand why it feels good. They just know it does. It moves them in the way they're looking to be moved. And I think that's, a you know, listening is a big part of that because there's a lot of, there's a lot of taste involved in that music. You know what I mean? Yeah. And something else that has come up in, in recent podcast episodes is not only something that feels good to them, but something that feels interesting to them because Fugazi was a hard touring band. They played a lot and for a song to like potentially be played hundreds of times, 
they're, they're, they don't want something boring. They want something that interests them and is fun to play and is interesting to both perform and to listen to. Yeah, well, I think it's natural for like an artist to, to want to be constantly improving. Sure, that's um, true, yeah. You know, um, and it, it, you know, I think a testament to like how good of musicians they are, whether, you know, regardless of how informed they are about the technical aspects of what they're doing. I actually, in preparing for this, I touched, I got in touch with Joe Lally. And, oh, nice. Um, well, I, this might disappoint some of your listeners, the decision I made. But basically, I got in touch with them. I told them what I was doing. And I said, hey, can we video conference? And you can, I just want to ask you some questions about the process and like how you guys wrote music or whatever specifically um, as it pertains to place position. And he was just like, you know what, man? I don't know what I can tell you other than show you the notes I played. So like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just this like really simple idea. The fact that he was like, well, there isn't really much to explain. I can show you the song. <laughs> and I actually, I decided like in that moment, it kind of like, what's the word? It kind of took away some of the like luster. And I was like, you know what? And I thought about your show and I think the reason I enjoy the show and what's so cool about your show is it's based around like speculating and not really being sure and like different takes and opinions on the band's music. And I was like, maybe I don't want to know the answer to some of these questions. And I canceled the video conference with Joe. Okay. I said, you know what? I don't want to know. Like, I, I want it to be a mystery. You know, the fact that like we can we can speculate and not actually know is like kind of what's cool about like i said your show and like listening to the band because there's definitely some things that they just don't put on the table yeah that's true i i have a weird duality of mind when it comes to that i certainly enjoy the show that i'm making right now but i'm also like man i would love to do the show every week with the band and ask them every little question that comes to mind so it's like real conflicting uh, uh nature within me well I mean, let's well, let's jump into it then. We're talking about yeah. place position, uh, of course. The the second track from End Hits, and I mean, uh, first of all, I have to give a little shout out to Fugazi's excellent record sequencing here. Like beginning with break is brilliant, but then following up with place position is just so so well placed on this record. I think it just it really gets you into, it, especially as as a record that's pretty weird in in as you get deeper into it i think it's a nice introduction to someone who comes here looking for you know if you imagine being there in 1998 and listening to a new fugazi record something that eases you in gives you that punk rock uh hit that you want before really blowing your mind with floating boy and stuff like that you know it's funny i had the exact same sentiment like i feel like in terms of um, end hits, you can't talk about place position without talking about break. You just, like, break is a killer song. It's definitely one of my favorites. But in the context of this record, it does. It, it functions as, like, an introduction. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, I thought about what it might be like with, without break if they just went into place position and it's kind of like jumping in the car and like 
accelerating accelerating to 60 without like adjusting your mirrors without putting your seatbelt on <laughs> you know what i'm saying like brake kind of gets you warmed up and like you know and then once yeah place position hits it's it's perfect it's, it's a really good way to start start a record for sure absolutely yeah and um for for some interesting facts off the bat the um the working title of this song was april march I don't know if you knew that it's um, and it's un- it's a little unclear to me why, because my my immediate reaction is like, oh, this song, something about the cadence of the song sounds like a march and they wrote it in April. And it's sort of a funny play on words. But I didn't realize that there is a person named April March, or at least that's her uh, nom de guerre. She's an American singer songwriter um, and she's known for singing in both English and French. I have no idea uh, how that plays into being the working title of this song or if that has anything to do with it. So that's an open question, but there it is. Working title of the song was April, March. For a Guy Pachotto song, the lyrics are more straightforward than a lot of them. And just to, to bolster what is being said in the lyrics, um, I have found some places where, you know, that transcribe something Guy says when introducing the song live. Um, I always hit up another civfistedfind.tumblr.com to uh, to search for that sort of thing. And a sh- notable show in uh, May May twelfth, nineteen ninety eight, that is noted uh, quotes Guy as introducing the song this way. He says, "Right now, Congress is considering some kind of law where labor workers from other countries can be brought over here and then work for cheap, without any access to any kind of immigration status or any kind of protections here." something they haven't done since the 20s or 30s, and it is completely insane. This is a song about our completely insane immigration policies, end quote. And uh, one more thing that I saw online in uh, a show in Melbourne, Australia, in uh, June June 18, 1997, Guy dedicated the song to Pauline Hansen, who is the founder of Australia's far-right xenophobic One Nation Party. Um, that's a person that I... As an American, wasn't really familiar with, um, but uh, yeah, she she sounds uh, truly awful, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. There are some lead-off facts about place position, and from there, let me throw it to you, Matt. Uh, what do you think is the first thing you want to say about this song? Yeah, um, I mean, if we're talking about the lyrics, I I was actually pretty relieved when I I'm not really a, like a lyric guy. Like if, when I listen to music, what I can make out great what i can't that's okay you know i I like listening to the notes and the sounds of the instruments and things um so when i when i pulled out the lyric sheet um and read the lyrics i was actually kind of relieved because it is really straightforward it's not very ambiguous at all what he's talking about here yeah you know but it, it got me thinking about borders and what's interesting is like i the the idea of like that's just an instinctual thing I think for creatures like everyone there's borders everywhere everywhere we like and there's like even animals in the wild have territory you know what I mean um but I think where it gets crazy is like what you were saying is like you know maybe there isn't necessarily anything wrong with like drawing territory lines you know, as humans. Um, but what, what gets crazy is like when you get into immigration status and like people's 
alien status and where they belong and where they don't belong. You know what I mean? Yeah, like there certainly are practical considerations to having national borders. I mean, I guess it's all about securing the resources of a specific geographic area, which is like, yeah, as you say, kind of a stone age instinct to have that's just sort of been carried into the future um, because seemingly because we can't imagine any other way to to do things. Um, But yeah, yeah, like having that institution um, brings with it a lot of weird notions about people, right? It's like it mixes up how you think about each nation's territory with the people that live there and their, you know, their status, right? Whether they're inferior to you or superior to you and a sense of superiority that you have about yourself, right? Being from a certain country, a citizen of a certain nation. Um, And there's certainly a lot of bullshit that comes along with that. Yeah, obviously. I mean, you just said it. But yeah, this idea that like... um, it does because it does imply that somehow people from other uh, parts of the world are somehow like inferior or need to go through this process to be declared, you know, an American yeah. or a Canadian or an Australian or whatever it is. You know what I mean? As opposed to just like showing up, you know, maybe stopping the Social Security office so that you can deal with taxes and payroll and that's just kind of and then you go to work and that's just kind of the end of it you know which that doesn't seem unreasonable to me we have different economies because one world economy would be a fucking disaster right um because that's too much consolidated power so you know as far as like labor and things like that go and alien status it, it really shouldn't be as complex um and alienating as it is i think yeah and the whole sentiment of nationalism that that gives rise to it's it it falls apart under any kind of scrutiny this like intense pride that some people have in being you know an american or whatever you know i was so it's it funny i have a uh, like a two-year-old daughter and you know we, we're trying to like not give her toys that we're trying to not enforce specific gender roles you know we're trying to yeah. just sort of you know raise her in a way that doesn't lock her into a certain pattern of thinking. Um, However, my, uh, for like her birthday, my mother recently bought her like this little collection of like three inch tall Disney princess figurines. So she's got all these princesses now and it's like, it's whatever. It's fine. We're not militant about it. So she can, she can have the princesses and play with them. Um, But like I was sitting there the other day and I was saying to my wife, like, it's so, it's so weird. Like the whole, the Disney princess fantasy, the fantasy of being a princess. Like I never thought about it this way before, but really all that boils down to is having a rich and powerful father. Like that's all it is to be a princess. It's nothing to do with your merits, things you can do, things you're good at, things you have accomplished. Like all it is, is having your father be rich and powerful. And then like I sort of went on and the next day I was thinking about the lyrics to this song and I'm like, oh, holy shit, that's exactly the same as nationalism. That's all that is, like being right. really proud of being American. It's like, my daddy is rich and powerful. <laughs> like, that's all it is. It's nothing about you. So It's funny, too. Um, you know, like, I, I, I haven't read on this, but I, can, I feel like I can safely assume that a lot of people that um, 
have this intense national pride, probably haven't really traveled very many places. Yeah. You know, it's almost like there's a fear, like uh, wanting to leave the castle walls. Like, this is the best castle. We got the best castle. I don't need to go out there to know it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they're afraid to, to, to leave the walls, to cross the moat and go out into the unknown, you know? Yeah, it's sort of, once you travel, it's sort of mind-blowing. A, I mean, how sort of similar people are all over the world in certain ways. But also, there are, <laughs> there are things, if you travel much at all, that you'll say, oh, this these guys do it much better than we do. They have <laughs> they have a much better way of doing this particular thing um, that, that you probably never even crossed your mind before. So yeah, I agree. Oh, totally, yeah. And even when it comes to qualities of your country that you are proud of though like what do you have to be proud of if you are not furthering those qualities right like there are a lot of people in this country you ask them well what's so great about the united states you know they'll be like oh freedom man freedom but there are a lot of those people who are support uh, in support of republicans passing laws that make it harder to vote so (laughs) so if you're if you're like actively working against the qualities that you're proud of in your country that's extremely stupid i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah yeah well maybe um yeah i would i would say that it's pretty ignorant um i mean what i've found is like in order for me to like comfortably feel like i could justify making an argument about something like i have to i have to research it and understand it completely Um, and I just don't think there's a lot of that. I mean, political philosophy is just as dense a topic as anything else. And I can assure you, you know, a lot of, uh, middle Americans who take those stances, like have not done that kind of research or like made an attempt to actually understand the complexities of like politics and opposing views and what that means and how they function together and exist together. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... Yeah, it's a lot of, uh, it's, it seems like it's just a lot of narcissism. <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's, it's just a lot of narcissism and uh, ignorance where it's just like, I'm going to take a stance on something I don't actually know much about. Right. <laughs> well, so. I like a lot of, a lot of the lines in the song, just how he brings that out is, I, there's just some very memorable lines here. All maps are random. All scales are wrong which, you know, is sort of literally true, like every map makes, you know, from a cartographical perspective, makes some kind of sacrifice or some kind of distortion of reality um, in order to map the globe onto like a flat surface. It's an interesting line to think about when it comes to just its metaphorical possibilities when you're talking about nationalism. Well, have you seen some of the, have you seen some of the maps like that, um, made by like American cartographers and like where the United States is placed is way further South than it actually is. Hmm. Yeah. You can go online and and research it. Um, I forget her name. There's a woman on YouTube that like, she just busts out all kinds of different maps made by different cartographers. And it's insane. You don't, we are like what I thought the globe looked like is not what it looks like. Hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, you know? Yeah. It it is true. I I sometimes wonder 
the kind of bias that goes into like even something like choosing which color certain countries get to be because that's when you make a map you're like okay this country's gonna be pink and this one's gonna be green blue is reserved for the ocean so we don't use that but i yes part of me wonders even like something as simple as the color choice if that is like i don't know plays into things at all because the yeah like i have a a little globe where the united states is green and that's what we think of as like a a natural color for a country to be because there's green oh, grass yeah. that grows on the ground and a country Fertile. that's pink is like oh that's that's kind of weird that foreign country is pink i don't know this this <laughs> might not actually be anything to do with anything but it crossed my mind yeah i mean i just just as easily could be so who knows <laughs> um if you can what i always tell myself is if I can think of something, someone else has already thought of that thing, too. That's something that Google has certainly taught me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anytime I come up with, like, a, a fun turn of phrase or band's name or something, it's like, no, Google it with quotes around it. It's, it's been done. Yep, yep. I, I like the line also, false premise, forge the nation. Um, it's seemingly something that applies to the United States of America, but I don't know, could could really be about every country on earth this this well, false this, premise underneath it right well that that line in particular and then the last um at the end of the song the whole the whole phrase the violence of a fence builder's dream that uh sorry these this cursive font's a little hard to read on this insert right the violence <laughs> the violence of a fence builder's dream that masks the phrasing of all the pleasures of home, legal, illegal, I want to go home, that I equate that to kind of like what I was saying, where it's almost like a fence builder's dream, like, don't worry, folks, we've got these awesome castle walls, they're the best castle walls in the world, you don't need to go out there, we don't need to let anyone in, we're the best, don't worry about it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then the violence is like, and if anyone tries to come in our castle, you know, I, I can assure you they're dangerous. It has nothing to do with the fact that like we have more resources that we don't want to share, whatever it may be. You know what I mean? It is. It's like we built the walls, so it's imperative for you to just trust the reason that we tell you we built them. Yeah, and, and I, I think it speaks to this whole mindset that pervades um, conservatism to me, which is like if... <laughs> If we can if we can keep any group that's not us from gaining ground in a certain area or like prevent them from some kind of benefit, well that's better for us because the more they have, the less we have. Um, the more access they have to the whatever benefits appertain to being a, a resident or a citizen of the United States, uh, whatever benefits they have, we have less of those benefits. So it's it's like the opposite of the rising tide lifts all boats mindset. And I think that's, that's a real schism in American politics. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, uh, a buddy of mine and I were having a political discussion recently. Um, and he, he said something really interesting. He's like, all fascism is, is wanting to be on the winning team so bad. You're willing to change the rules. You're willing to cheat just to be on the winning team or whatever side that may be. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's like this power thing. It is, it's a power dynamic. Um, and it's, it's a human, it's a human thing. I mean, when you're a kid, like 
in gym class or whatever you want to you want to win at soccer you want to whatever it is you know you just people just want to win for whatever reason i don't know what that is in us yeah we just have this naturally competitive thing where we have to be better or superior in some way and without maybe like an awareness of that it can grow into this like this insane monstrous thing that dominates you know country country policy and foreign policy yeah and of course the corollary of that wanting to be like competitive is like you want an enemy people want enemies they don't want world peace like there's something perverse in human nature about that you need a team to play against you can't win there's no one for you to fight exactly (laughs) right how am i supposed to be the winner if i can't take someone down you know what i'm saying like absolutely so yeah there's there's a lot you know it's at the beginning of this discussion, we were like, oh, yeah, this, this song's real straightforward. But really, it's a complex topic. Yeah, there's such things as like that line, the violence of a fence builder's dream. There's there's a lot of metaphor in there. Um, and, you know, something I wanted to bring up, but I'm not going to. I wanted to bring up the poem Mending Wall by Robert Frost. I'm not going to quote from it because I could really just read the entire thing and talk about that poem for like hours as it relates to um yeah, national nationalistic politics. Um but right. I'll, I'll just leave it there and like put a link in the show notes because it's a, it's a great poem to read. Um but, but so there's that metaphor of building the wall national borders, but of course we've also come out of this terrible <laughs> like four year stretch of the Trump administration where it's very literally like at hand is building this huge, stupid border wall. And yeah, yeah it's kind of, the, and of course that's not a new idea. Um, and no. you know, I started trying to do research like, okay, what was going on in terms of like immigration when this song was written? Um, but it, it ends up sort of being fruitless because it's always the same thing. It's like this endless cycle of, you know, whenever the Republicans need votes, they drum up this sometimes just like totally making up a story about immigrants coming to the border in a caravan or whatever. And it's like, oh, all of a sudden, this is this is really dangerous now. We've got to have a wall. So it's it's just an endless cycle of that sort of thing rearing its head in my lifetime, at least. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like the whole like political party thing could be they're I, They're both just as fucked in my opinion. Um, you know, because like, I don't know, I'm just a guy who I try to strive for balance. Right. That's like kind of the idea, you know, too much of anything's a a bad thing. Um, so it's, you know, too far one way or the other isn't gonna, the answer has got to be in the middle somewhere, but like the answer being in the middle is, and I know this isn't a popular opinion, but I don't really give a shit. Like, that would be balance. And the idea is to divide and conquer. So it's like the more you can put people on one side or the other, I don't really think it makes a difference which side they're on. As long as you have people in conflict, then yeah, everything's real easy to control and you can do things like spend incredible amounts of money on building ridiculous walls, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's interesting that the line in this song, may all your borders be porous, which I love the way that's phrased as this sort of interesting little like blessing. Um, but, yeah, is good. but yeah, I mean, it's it, note that he's not saying may there not be any borders. He's saying may 
you know, borders may exist, but may all your borders be porous, which is an interesting sort of middle right, of like the road position to take in a way. Like they're easy to traverse. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like what I was saying at the beginning. Like it's it makes sense to sort of divide up territories um, just for the sake of organization. But, you know, outside of that is where it gets gets sticky, you know? Yeah, it's it's a challenge to imagine a world without borders and how that would would work but yeah i i think at least it's worth imagining yeah for sure if if we could all just kind of roam around free <laughs> yeah. I mean, that'd be awesome that'd be so cool well yeah, and i mean <laughs> i think it's worth noting that it's it's sort of like a class divide that we have now because like you know to some extent I can roam free throughout the world, and I have. I've gone from place to place. Um, right. I come from a from a, like a middle class background, and I've always had a decent job. I and I can, you know, I'm I'm not on any sort of like government watch list based on you know my name being Mohammed or something like ridiculous right. like that. So I've been able right. to uh, travel freely throughout the world. That's not the case for everybody. Some people are stuck exactly where they are for their entire lives. So, um, it's, it's not that, um, borders can't be porous. It's that they're porous for some and not for others. Oh, hell yeah. And you know, like, um, I, well, I, I live, I live in Chicago, um, in the, in like the neighborhoods, not downtown or anything. Um, and it's funny, like there's, there's borders in our cities, you know, like, uh, I've lived in, like, I'm not going to claim to be that I ever like lived in a ghetto or anything, but I've definitely lived near them and had, you know, been through them and go in them. Um, and like those borderlines, especially here in Chicago, it's a really segregated city. You know, you can stand at certain intersections and see the cultural divide on, you know, east to west of uh-huh. one intersection. Yeah, it's wild. But like, there's there's people in impoverished neighborhoods that there's people who never leave their neighborhood. Yeah. Like their whole lives. Like they they shop, they socialize and they're educated in their neighborhood and they don't they don't leave the neighborhood. Yeah. Damn. So if if you can imagine that um yeah, it's 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 intense, man the idea of being stuck somewhere or like feeling like you're being stuck. And then at the same time, kind of feeling a little guilty that you like, why do I get this privilege? Why can I like jump on a plane and go to Egypt or whatever, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. Like, yeah, I think that's another aspect of privilege that goes unexamined. Sometimes I, I think that's a good thing to think about. Um, For sure. But yeah, if you, you know, like if you ever like want to get a, a clear picture of what border situations are like, you know, I don't know, go walk, walk through your neighbor's lawns and like one of them is going to come out and, and bitch at you. <laughs> like, true. You, know, you know what I mean? Those, those are borders, dude. People want their space. Like, you know, so there's, there's borders everywhere and you can like get a little taste of what that's like going go into a neighborhood you don't belong in and just go stand there for an hour on the corner and see what happens. Just see what your interactions are like, you know, like not necessarily that like you'd be in danger, but people are going to look at you like you're a fucking alien. Like, like what, what are you doing here? You know what I mean? 
that would give someone a taste of what that might be like, what we're talking about here. Legal, illegal, as Guy says. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, on, on one side of, of this imaginary line, you are you are legal. On the other side, you are illegal. Just uh, right. you know, your status as a person has changed. Right, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally like this ludicrous, absurd idea that, you know, I mean, any sort of like major negativity or hatred in the world can usually be traced back to money. Like, just follow the path to money, you know, and you'll find find out what like where where the motives lie so yeah. yeah one more thing to say about the lyrics here is that i i like how Guy sort of frames it as an immature stance to take he's like i can't stifle my boredom so why not act your age your fear of contagion um it's just like yeah this is this is childish like drawing lines and being in our little forts and yeah w- well, wanting it to be a competition I forgot. I had another thought about this real quick. I know we're, we're taking a long time with the lyrics, um, but the fear of contagion thing, I actually was thinking about borders and racism and things and did a little research. And I guess there is, there is like a, a um, uh, an evolutionary thing in our DNA that makes us weary of people that are different than us. And it's like this natural instinct, but it comes from, you know, early days of man needing to be weary of other tribes and things because they might have diseases that um, you might not be like prepared to fight your immune system or whatever, or you don't know if they're friendly or dangerous. But like without this awareness, it's how are we going to because that's not something we have to worry about anymore. We don't need to be weary of you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. There's there's so much that applies in a you know in a natural state of the world where tribalism is understandable and basic stuff like might makes right is understandable like the the strongest person is the leader of the society of the tribe and uh, and but these are all things that like when governments are instituted the whole point is to protect people from all that stuff like you are you are not a second-class citizen if you are disabled or something. Like, we're not going to leave you out on the ice floe. We're going to take care of you because we live in a society. And any of those antediluvian notions that we have, we should work on moving past those, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But it, it does. It seems like, to some extent, we're still operating on that, like, prehistoric tribal level. Yeah, it's hard to... Which, like, that's how our brains right. evolved. And it's hard to right. think that. Yeah. Right. Um, just, just think about that the next time someone approaches you and you, you, you start looking at them sideways cause they're, they're a little different than right, you. Right. It's okay. yeah. Try to try to master your own instincts. Um, yeah, it's, it's and not, own- it's not easy, but right. It's work that you should do. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's talk about the music then. Um, okay. I guess I'll let you take lead on this too. Um, it seems to me this is a song that's like in the key of A, but I think you you mentioned that you think there are a few key changes and stuff. So I'm going to let you sort of <laughs> start where you want with yeah. that. There, there are a few key changes. Um, it starts in A, uh, so you got that. It's just uh, Ian's playing this like staccato A major chord, um, and those quick little bursts actually... Uh, Guy, he's playing an A major chord, 
but there's a flat nine in there, mm-hmm. um, which what a flat nine is, it's basically like, uh, uh, it's kind of like a reverse major seven chord. So he's, so you're hearing, um, an A and then an octave up an A sharp. That's where that, like, that's that dissonant chord. Right. Okay. Um, and then what I think is really cool about this intro and super effective is um, once the drums come in and you've got your tempo established and your rhythmic field, there's still no no bass. Um, right, which is the bass really, doesn't come in until the verse proper, right, basically? Right, which I, I love that move. Um, another, like those, uh, what, like Hot Snakes and Rocket from the Crypt and stuff, those John Reese, Rick Froberg bands, they do that all the time. And it's an mm-hmm. awesome way to, like, to really be impactful with the intro of like a change or something. Um, and I wanted so to was, say about the bass guitar in general on this song, like on this song, more than a lot of Fugazi songs, it just sounds like it's part of the drum kit. Like it is so percussive and, and locked in. Um, it's just really, really, uh, yeah, it, it's almost, it's almost as if Brendan has like a, a third arm in this. And that's like, it's, it's an extension of him. Yeah, well, that's that's probably like the attack of uh, Joe's pick on his bass, because um, the bass part it's it's all these like eighth notes, like you know what I mean, right? And meanwhile, Brendan, who his his feel as a drummer, he's like all downbeat all the way always, because during the the verse, so you've got Joe doing these eighth notes like consistent eighth notes and Brendan's doing consistent quarter notes on the downbeat. So yeah, they do, they do like live together rhythmically in the same world. And that's, um, I mean, that's good songwriting, you know, or good arrangement rather. Right. Um, but yeah, you, there, there are key changes in the song. Um, so the intro is in a, okay. And, uh, something I noticed that, I didn't see, I watched them play this live um, and kind of just watched their hands. And something I noticed on the record that Ian does not do, um, he might do it, I couldn't get a good look, but it sounds like it's Ian's guitar, um, is actually, he's playing that staccato A major chord, and right before they go to the verse, um, he actually lifts the major third to a a suspended fourth, Hmm. which kind of takes you out of it it sets you up to leave the key of a and it builds tension that resolves to the key of e so right there you have like a not so jarring like well-played key change interesting how like just in in general terms why why would you say that's a key change to e rather than them just sort of like sitting on the fifth of the key um, it's like sitting on the dominance of, of the key of A. Like, what's how do you distinguish that as like a key change? Um, well, the, the the tension from that suspended A chord mm-hmm. is a big thing. Um, what it is, it's tension and resolution. Um, I mean, when I listen to it, like I can just naturally hear once, and that that suspended fourth is buried in there. But once you hear it, you can't unhear it, mm-hmm. and. Um, once I start hearing that suspended fourth, like the tension builds and they get to, they get to that, um, 
They get to that first note, the E of the verse. And also with that, now what's happening once they're in the verse is um, he's playing something a little, a little weird, but Joe and Ian, they're playing a pentatonic. They're playing notes from the pentatonic scale in E. Okay. And that's what's going to, that's what makes it the key of E. They're playing an E scale together. Although that's complicated because like basically everything from the E pentatonic scale also is just like like an E dominant seventh chord, which is part of the key of A. So like that's that's part of my confusion about that sort of thing. It's like, except of course for like for the minor third, um, but that's, uh, you can blur the line with that sort of. Right, right. Yeah, no, and I mean... The thing, the thing about music theory that I learned is like, um, I mean, that's that's how I determined it. Is that they're just they're both playing in the key of E, and like, I know it's not really fair, um, but my <laughs> ear, my ear is just the answer is it's E. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. No, um, that's... Yeah, I will. So, I'll take your word for that. Yeah, um, because also. You know, it's a context thing. So now you're in the key of E for the verse. And they actually, when they go back up to the A chord for Joe and Guy's little scale run. Yeah. You know, it's the, like the little the refrain that mimics the, the what I guess I'd call the chorus. That yeah, it's the, part where, it's the part where they sing um, legal, illegal later. Yes. Right, that. Right, right. And for me... When they go, when they go there, um, there's no resolution. So if they were in the key of A, you'd feel resolution when they get to that, that like, that run. That yeah. Scale. No, yeah, you're but right. The, so it's, instead, it's, it's like being tension. in the key of E and playing the, uh, uh, the A as like a subdominance, right? The fourth. Right. Yeah, I, I see what you mean there. That's true. Right. So it, it really, it's a, it is, it's a feel thing, um, but. Where it gets really <laughs> interesting, um, so basically, and then you know, for the for the cor- what we call the chorus, the part we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's it's more pentatonic stuff. Uh, Ian's just playing an A, not even an A chord. I think it's just the low A, and then the next octave up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Joe and Gee are playing the same part. So you would write that as NC, no chord. Hmm. So um, you really just have those scales to go on. And it's it's pretty strong uh, A pentatonic scale, except for the third note where they sh- uh, augment the fifth, which just builds a little tension. It sounds cool. Um, but other than that, it's, it's more pentatonic notes. Um, but when they get to... Um, is it before the it might even be before the chorus where there's like a little pause in there's the song pause that's uh, on a yeah. b flat right yeah and that's unusual is a flat five um coming out of the key of e the flat five because that's like a real sinister thing that's like the 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 cliche heavy metal interval you know what i mean yeah but for some reason, when they do it, it might be those few little notes that Guy plays, that little ear, <laughs> um, which almost has like an Eastern feel or something. Uh, it's really interesting because it doesn't sound evil to me at all. You know what I mean? Well, like, so would it be fair to call that a tritone substitution? This is a topic I've been learning a little about recently. 
um, in, yeah, I mean, in like a jazz context. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's the flat five. That's, you know, a yeah. tritone is just a couple of flat fives in a row. Um, yeah, so like so, if, you're, if you're thinking of it as leading, something leading to A as a home note, um, yeah, basically like a an E7 flat nine chord and a B flat seventh chord have almost all the same notes in it, except like the root note switch an E for that tritone, the the B flat. And it's like, it just adds more feeling of like wanting to resolve to the A, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and in in the case, like in the sense that you're talking, they would both have the same function. They both like have the same function. um, Cause obviously they'd sound very similar. So that would be just like, a personal decision on the songwriter, which one to actually use. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, But it sounds so interesting. Like it's that simple of a a thing to throw in there makes it so much more than your typical straight ahead punk song. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think it's again, a testament to their listening abilities because if, you know, it's my understanding that like those guys would come up with ideas on their own or whatever, but generally they would, they'd write those songs together in their practice space or whatever. Yes. Someone had to say like, at some point we need something here. Like, and the, the B flat was chosen, which, you know, if you can tell, if you don't already know, and you can tell by the way you and I are talking about it to your listeners, like that's a very unusual choice to make. Yeah. And so, there's also in the, in the yawn, yawn, yawn part, that's, that's an E flat, right? Which is like, yeah, that's, which is which is the flat five of the A. Of A, yeah. So, so it's funny that we're like, you almost hear A is the more dominant key of the song. I hear more E, but either way, and it, there's like the same move in both keys to this flat five. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then that, I love how long they hold that, like they're on that E flat and saying yawn, yawn, yawn. And it just makes it sound so great when they finally go to the word boredom. Boredom. It's like so much build up of tension and uh, it just, it just leads there really perfectly. Well, you know, when I, um, when I figured out how to play the song, um, because that was usually I can like, usually I can pick stuff out by ear what's going on. You Uh know, like when I put the song on, I'm like, oh, that's A, I know that's A. And then they go to E. Oh, I know that's E. But like usually I identify things by intervals and that one threw me off yeah. going up to that, that E flat. And like, I wanted to know why it worked so well. And what they're doing is that chord progression, once they get to that, well, let's call it the bridge. Cause they only do that part once. Right. Sure. Um, it's an E flat to an A flat. And one of the guitars is just holding an E flat note. Um, so you have, it's, it's, they're perfect intervals. Right. Um, and it's going, it's going down. So I'm going to call it a perfect fourth, um, which for your listeners, a perfect interval are two notes um, that both share scales. So it's, it's like such a solid chord progression. And so like, dominant and establishing of the key that's why it's like easy for the listener to to sort of rest into that thing it's not very awkward at all even though it's a really unusual place to go from where they were right Um, yeah yeah it's yeah and as you say this 
it makes me I, I really wish I could be a fly on the wall for some of these um like when they were putting these together I just want to know how they talked about it to each other at the time you know yeah yeah I don't I don't know I mean like I said I, I had that I was talking to Joe Lally about getting some of those questions answered but really you know like it is it's it's cool to want to know but I I think it's cooler to want to know than to actually know. Yeah. <laughs> For no, me. I, I get it. It's like, yeah, it's like watching a, a magic trick. I mean, exactly. you want to know how it's done, but it's never satisfying when you find out. It, yes. Yeah. Exactly like a magic trick. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really cool song. Um, I'm glad I got to do this. Like, uh, I think, objectively and i like you know i have no problem with people not agreeing with me here um end hits isn't my favorite record uh like personally taste wise like i just like the songs on repeater better um but i think objectively end hits is like is the best fugazi record that's like i feel like that's where they you know, they worked out the formula, they found the solution, and then figured out how to apply the solution. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. Like, I, I feel like I, I can I can rarely argue with anyone's opinion about which Fugazi record is the best, you know? It's it's such a hard decision. <laughs> but Yeah, yeah it, well, I feel like they all, um, you know, they all have their place in our palettes. You know, like, yeah. oh, it's a kill taker kind of day. Or yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, if I'm going to listen to Fugazi, which one should I listen to? Like, oh, I'm going to listen to 13 or songs or whatever. You, you know, like they all almost have like a function or a purpose to their um, to their fans or whatever. Um, well, why don't we uh, just before we sort of start wrapping up here. Um, give a voice to some people on uh, social media on the Alphabetical Fugazi Facebook page uh, because, yeah, a lot of people wanted to weigh in with their opinions about place position. Um, so cool. I'll, I'll read some of those, uh, just a sampling. Um, uh, Chris McGeary says, it's my second favorite song on the album. I remember the first dozen or so listens, I couldn't make out a single word, uh, but I loved it even more after I read the lyrics. And Colin Max says, uh, it's one of my favorites they've ever done. The drums are amazing and make great use of quick accented bursts of open hi-hats. And then the verses have these really infectious alternating snare and tom hits. This is one I always find myself drumming on the steering wheel of my car. Um, I imagine that you're you're the kind of person who does that too, right? Oh, yeah. I learned to play on, on high school desks and chairs. Yeah. <laughs> and I got a little older, the steering wheel of my car for sure. Ryan Albert says all Gee songs on end hits are, and then puts five fire emojis. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This Gee is strong on this record for sure. Oh, def- yeah, definitely. Auntie Varalis says wonderful track that really gives the album an energy boost after the chill grooves of break, very dynamic and the quieting down to, so why not act your age never ceases to amaze me. Um, yeah. And that's one thing we didn't mention. There's like this interesting sort of chromatic ascending, build up in that part that from like oh yeah from a to c i think no actually it's interesting it's uh i can real quick it's yeah. uh f sharp it's f sharp minor to f sharp major uh-huh. so what they're, they're actually raising the third and then um 
And then they raise the root to G minor to G major to uh, G4. So the bass only goes up once, but the guitar is constantly chromatically rising. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah. that's pretty no, interesting. Because I, I guess that's what I'm talking about, because the, the yeah, A is the minor third of F sharp, so it's like that's that's what I was hearing is like the main voice of that. Yeah, that's I that's very cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Rob Reginio says, the drum fill leading into May All Your Borders Be Porous may be the moment of the record. Hmm. And uh, bold statement. And Ant- Antioco Antioco Ruggeri says, "What's more Fugazi esque than the stop at one fourteen? Yeah, that's something we didn't mention. But like going back to waiting room, like when they do these stops and there's a big thing of pause of silence. Classic Fugazi, and it's fun to watch them do that live. If you have a chance to watch a watch a video of place position. Yeah, I heard the episode on No Surprise. You guys talked about that. They yeah. do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, it's space, a tendency for sure. You know, space is just as important as filling it, you know. Um so uh Bradford Reed Goodwin um brought up this something uh I think I think one or two other people might have brought this up. Uh there's a sort of like Bill Hicks rant about nationalism and of course, you know, they titled Steady Diet of Nothing um after one of Bill Hicks's rants and um He's he's yeah he's basically talking about how uh sort of what what Guy is getting at at the very beginning of the song where he says all origins are accidental and Bill Hicks in this rant is kind of like yeah the the only reason I'm an American is because my parents fucked here that's like right <laughs> so like when people ask me if I'm proud to be an American um it's like well yeah my parents fucked here so I guess sure right. Um, right. So yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll put that video in the show notes too. Um, so yeah, thanks for pointing that out. So Ryan Stark says Gee has one-liners that allow for enormous deep consideration, and this song is full of them. Um, yeah, I think we mentioned a lot of those. And um, yeah, Joe Gross says replies to that and says yeah, it's a band of two brilliant sloganeers. Uh, absolutely. And uh, finally, Tommy Henson Jr. says, Every first Guy track on every Fugazi album is one of the best songs ever. I'd be happy to listen to an entire album of opening Guy tracks. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that bothers me about it is which opening Guy track would you put as the opening track of an opening Guy track album? That's a complicated question. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we have technology, man. You go, you do that. You go do that. Yeah, man. <laughs> make Make the album. <laughs> distribute it. <laughs> <laughs> so all that said, Let's talk about ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Where on every episode of the podcast, I ask my guest if they can rate the song we're talking about on a scale of one to five stars, but only in the context of the Fugazi catalog. So, Matt Parrish, what do you think about place position? Um, yeah, it's it's a four. I get you know, it's just a uh. Real strong, pretty much opens a record, you know, uh, if we consider break and intro or whatever, it's the first like full blown track and, um, really strong. I'm sure, I'm sure they, they chose it as the second track for a reason. Um, and yeah, I mean, saying, I guess considering that like five star Fugazi songs would be like quintessential Fugazi songs that, you know, just couldn't be done without. I would say it's like a it's like a four, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. 
I I feel like on most days I would say four. For some reason today I'm like I want to bump it up like to four point one five or four point two, <laughs> like something like a tiny bit better than a four. Maybe it's just the uh, all the interesting ideas that we've talked about with this song. But I'm I'm liking it a lot today from from my personal uh, point of view right now. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in that same zone as you on this one. Yeah. So you give it like a like a four with a little kiss. Yeah, a little four with okay. a. A little chef's kiss, a little pat on the head. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, the only other thing I have to ask you about is plugs. Never mind, what's the you doing anything new musically, anything at all, or where can people find you online? Whatever you want to say. Without sounding too much like a, like some kind of fucking advertisement, let me see if I can do this in a classy way. Uh, I, I got a, a label. Um, my friend Dane Wilson and I run, uh, it's, it's a brand new thing. Um, but one of the projects that we have is, uh, we're reissuing, um, old music that never made it to the digital format. It's mostly stuff from like the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, but we give it all away for free on our band camp and, uh, any money people do want to pay, we give to charity. Um, and there's a lot of amazing music out there that like, I feel super fortunate that I get to kind of archive in this way. Um, cause I've had all the permission or, or permission from all the bands and, and the record labels thus far. Um, so if people want to check that out, it's just dog and pony records.bandcamp.com. Um, and like actually a discord adjacent thing. Uh, one of the albums up there, uh, is by a band called the Carso, and some of the tracks are from a split they did with Farrakat. Oh. Um, yeah, so I mean, there, there's there's not a ton of stuff up, um, but if and you know we're on Instagram, you can find us on Facebook and all those things. So if you want to follow us, you know we I do my best to not post anything um, unless there's some some substance to absorb. You know, we don't post a lot of goofy shit, like just photos and goofing around and whatnot. Right. Um, so if, if people want to follow us uh, on Instagram or on Facebook, um, you know, they'll get updates when we put out new stuff. I've We've got something new coming out every month, I think, until like November. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So it's been really helpful, too, to... Um, create substance with this archive project because obviously it's no expense to us um and all the bands have been happy to participate um and yeah like i said we've we've had an opportunity to raise some money for charity so that's really cool um and then my label partner and i dane also play in a, a band called fresh hell um i'm hoping that we have this we have an ep coming out in august i'm not sure when th- this is going to air but uh Hopefully it'll be out by then because we're really proud of it. Um, and I'd like your listeners to check it out because why not? Awesome. I'll yeah. I'll put up some links in the show notes. Check that out, listeners. And also, I'd like to plug on your behalf, of course. Um, yeah, the the Lava Land EP by Piglet. Like that was. I like. I'm not a huge math rock head, but people who are into it, like that. That's a huge recording. Um, so uh, definitely check it out. Speaking of Farrakhet, did you ever? Well, I guess it would be medications at the time. Did you guys ever play with medications, or it seems like it would be a good bill? Yeah, um, I want to say that there's something in my head that 
like we got asked to play with them or we wanted to play with them or something. Um, but no, unfortunately we never, never got to play with them. Ah, oh well. yes, that, <laughs> medications and Farrakhet are high, high, high on my list. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome bands. But, but definitely if people want to, the big thing is if people want to support like these charitable causes, like, yeah, check out the label. Everything's there. Right on. Well, yeah. Thanks so much, Matt. It's been really cool to talk to you. I've learned some things, and I hope you have two listeners, um, if that wasn't too much uh, music theory babble for you. Um, I liked it. I wouldn't mind doing a little more of it. We'll see, based on the guests I have in the future. If you want to recommend this podcast to a friend, that would be cool. You can always reach me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com, and yeah, join that Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi, and uh, say if you uh, if you have any thoughts about upcoming songs i'll be collecting those thoughts and sometimes putting them in the podcast so do that and i hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing polish until then keep your eyes open <laughs>